Well, welcome friends uh, into this online space together. My name's Brad, I'm part of the teaching and leadership team here at Jericho Ridge. Now, if I was to write a book about your life, there would likely be a few iconic moments that would define or sum up who you really are. Moments where you were at your best, moments where your character was tested and you either came out on top or you buckled under the pressure. And we've come in our teaching series to what's perhaps the defining or iconic story in Daniel. The account where Daniel, after having been taken from his homeland as a boy, after interpreting dreams by supernatural insight that God gave him, after his friends are thrown into a fiery furnace and survive, after he explains the supernatural handwriting on the wall, after all of these iconic stories, the story that maybe most epitomizes Daniel's life occurs when he is thrown into the lion's den. So, just as a reminder, by this time in his life, Daniel's been serving faithfully in exile in the ancient kingdom of Babylon in Persia for the better part of 70 years. And as Pastor Wally reminded us last time, King Belshazzar, the Babylonian, is out and Darius, the king of the Medes, now has taken over. And so we're in Daniel chapter 6. And Daniel chapter 6 begins by telling us that Darius decided to divide up the kingdom into 120 provinces. So it continues and says, King also chose Daniel and two others as administrators to supervise the high officers and protect the king's interests. Daniel chapter 6, verse 3. Daniel soon proved himself more capable than all the other administrators and high officers. And because of Daniel's great ability, the king made plans to place him over the entire empire. Then the other administrators and high officers began searching for some fault in the way that Daniel was handling government affairs, but they couldn't find anything to criticize or condemn. He was faithful always responsible and completely trustworthy. So yet again, because of his incredible faithfulness and wisdom and reliance on God, Daniel earns a place of trust in another administration. It's a place based on his leadership capabilities and his great ability that God's given to him. So as the king is observing this and considering this promotion, the other leaders around Daniel begin to worry and plot and scheme. And, well, I'll just let the good people at VeggieTales tell it to us. Well, in our uh, book study earlier this summer uh, that Kevin O'Coyne led, uh, we studied the book Glittering Vices, a new look at the seven deadly sins and their remedies. And I found the chapter on envy to be one of the most convicting chapters. In defining it, author Rebecca DeYoung, over and against jealousy, says this, Envy's view of the world is essentially antagonistic. It's me versus you, my good or your good, never both. It is a zero-sum game. The natural reaction of the envious is to undermine and destroy the good of their rival. See, Daniel's enemies 
don't just want to bring him down a peg or two in the social or political order. They want him gone, destroyed, out of the picture forever. But they know they can't do this on the basis of Daniel's competence. He is, the text reminds us, faithful, always responsible and completely trustworthy. So they need to come up with another angle, another plan. Look with me at Daniel chapter 6, verse 5. They concluded our only chance of finding grounds for accusing Daniel will be in connection with the rules of his religion. Now, it's interesting that not even quote-unquote perfection, even the high standing and reputation and the exemplary character that Daniel is able to achieve does not exempt him from persecution. Daniel did everything right. He's highly regarded, but he is still targeted by those around him. And the envious conspirators use some tactics to undermine and trap Daniel that you might recognize because they're still around and in use actively today. One of the first things that these conspirators do is that they convince the king that this is a matter of national security. This is really important to the king and to the king's kingdom. See, whenever you can frame something in the sense of nationalism or tribalism, it's a very powerful force. And when you convince a group or its leader that nothing less than their security is at stake by stoking fear and hatred of others, you have created a powerfully toxic environment. And you then further stoke this by the use of charged language. When they come to the king, these officials say, all of us feel this way. Really? The whole group of 120 leaders, smart people, got in the same room or on the same Zoom call and rationally deliberated about this proposal? I don't think so. The language here gives us the distinct impression that a small group, an inner circle of agitators, want to get rid of Daniel. And they convince the king that them and all of their buddies are in this together. But this isn't unique to Daniel. I've seen this time and time again, friends, in, at work in the life of churches, and even at times here in Jericho. Sometimes people will come and talk to me or leaders and say, well, me and all my friends feel this way about this particular issue. And you need to know that at Jericho, we don't stand for that. When you have an issue, you're very welcome to come and chat with leadership, but you do not get to come with nameless concerns and say things like, well, a lot of us feel this way. That's just not how we do community here at Jericho Ridge. Another thing that these antagonists do is they make this into a test of loyalty. See, the envious leaders convince the king there's a threat to the kingdom so imminent that they should devise an immediate litmus test of loyalty so the king's interests can be protected. And we've seen in the book of Daniel already that there have been requests for capitulation or compromise or bowing down, whether it's uh, to food laws in chapter one or giant statues or other opportunities for compromised or misdirected worship. But this is a new twist. 
The envious scallions, or were they tribes, I don't know, make this a test of a religious nature. They make this about a matter of religion. They decide to weaponize and go after prayer. See, in the ancient world, particularly in Persian cultures, the king was often considered the chief representative of the chief gods. And so often when Persian kings would conquer new regions or territories, they would invite new dignitaries to come in and pay homage to their king. And they would say, you must bow before the king in reverence and awe and acknowledge the king as Lord. Because they saw the king as the representation of the gods. The king was infallible. And that's why in this text, once the law has been signed by a Persian king, it cannot be changed because if the king is like unto a god, why would the gods change their minds? So the king was considered infallible or without error. So the other envious administrators trick the king into making a law that for 30 days, anyone who prays to anything or anyone, divine or human, except for the king, will be thrown into the lion's den. And so the king signs the law. Look with me at Daniel chapter 6, verse 10. We see what happens. When Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home, he knelt down as usual in his upstairs room with its windows open toward Jerusalem, and he prayed three times a day, just as he had always done, giving thanks to his God. Here's what's intriguing to me about this. Upon hearing this news, Daniel had probably a number of options. But he didn't go and complain to the king, although I suppose he could have done that. He didn't take his case to the Tribunal for Religious Rights and Freedom, so there's definitely times and places where that is appropriate. Daniel simply goes home, he opens his windows, and he practices his usual fixed-hour prayers. He doesn't hide his faith. He doesn't move the location of his prayer time to somewhere less conspicuous. He just takes the same posture as he has always done, a pray-first posture. And you might wonder, well, why would Daniel or others pray with his windows open facing Jerusalem? It sounds a little bit like a Muslim practice of facing Mecca to pray. Well, in places like 1 Kings chapter 8, verse 44, and 2 Chronicles 6, or even the book of Psalms chapter 5, verse 7, the ancient Hebrew people felt that God's eyes were turned toward Jerusalem. And so when they prayed, they wanted their eyes to be focused on and turned toward the place where God's eyes were focused. And so it's really a beautiful picture of alignment. And in many ways, I want that for my life and for your life. For when we pray, to be focused on the things that God is focused on. And friends, there's something quite powerful about Daniel's actions here. Keeping our practices in place when trouble comes into our lives. See, when, when storms or challenges come against you, in some ways, that is too late 
to begin battening down or start battening down the hatches. Daniel has built into his life years of faithfulness in prayer. His faith was already very well developed so that when trouble hit, he was already deeply rooted in his connection with God and with other people. And friends, can I express just a note of pastoral concern here for some of you? I sense that some people in the time of COVID are coasting spiritually. You're not continuing to invest in deepening your relationship with God and with other people. You're simply hoping that your prayer life that you had pre-COVID can sustain you through this season, or that your previous Bible knowledge or previous engagement relationally here at Jericho can just carry you through this season. See, Daniel had that opportunity to just take a 30-day break from his prayer life, and all this would have gone away. But Daniel chooses not to coast. He presses in. He does not push pause. So I want to challenge you. I know it's hard to keep on growing when sometimes you feel like you're missing all of the usual structures that were in place in your life and the ease of things like in-person gatherings. But I want to challenge you to keep on persisting with spiritually healthy habits, gathering as you're able in community for accountability and for growth in this season. I had a great uh, meeting with Pastor Wally this week, and we're very excited to launch a whole set of both in-person and online small groups this September that are going to provide you with the tools, the support, and the accountability that each of us need to keep growing and keep going in this season. And so I just want to give that word to you. Do not give up. Don't simply take a break from church or from community or from prayer until all of this goes away. That is a bad plan. And another note here that we want to focus on is just the content of Daniel's prayers. Daniel's prayers are prayers of thanksgiving to God. Daniel's not complaining to God that no other Jewish captives seem to have been targeted by this plot. Daniel's not making a deal with God. God, if you get me out of this mess, I'll up my prayers to six times a day from three times a day. Daniel simply trusts himself to God's care and to God's keeping. And he really has to because we see that the officials rush off to King Darius and they tattletale on Daniel. And the king has to follow through on his law and he gives orders for Daniel to be arrested and thrown into the lion's den. And the king then spends a very sleepless night wondering what's happened to his friend Daniel. Look with me as we pick up the story in Daniel chapter 6. Verse 19, very early the next morning, the king got up and he hurried out to the lion's den. When he got there, he called out in anguish, Daniel, servant of the living God, was your God whom you serve so faithfully able to rescue you from the lions? There's this odd note of doubt, but hope in the king's voice. The question, is your God able? And now we see Daniel's response. Yes, king, my God sent his angel to shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me, for I have been found innocent in his sight, and I have not wronged you, your majesty. Now, 
If I'm Daniel on that morning, I don't know after having spent a night with the lions if I'm particularly in a mood to give glory and honor to Jesus. I'm probably a little bit angry at this moment. I would be angry with the nobles who conspired against me out of envy. I would be angry with the king who went along with the stupid law. But Daniel is an older and wiser man who has walked with his God for a long, long time. And in this moment, as he has been at every stage of his journey, Daniel is concerned not with his own vindication, not with his own career advancement, but with the glory of God. And this leads then to King Darius sending out a message to all the peoples of every nation, tribe, and language throughout the world that bears witness to the power and the might of the one true and living God, the God who rescues, the God who saves. So, friend, what challenges are you facing today? Not all of us are facing den of lion level challenges. Some of you are. Some of you are facing the challenge of just a simmering low-grade anxiety that will not go away. Maybe over the summer months you've been camping or having fun holidaying and ignoring it, but that anxiety and that fear of the present and the future is still with you. Maybe as you look to the future, and you think about things like kids going back to school, just the unknown is really crippling you. Maybe it's a health concern or a life circumstance that you don't think is going to change. Friends, I want to invite you and remind myself to take the same posture as Daniel takes. In the face of massive challenges, Daniel gets down on his knees and cries out, but also gives thanks to God in prayer. Matthew Henry, in his commentary on Daniel's prayer, notes that, quote, those who throw away their souls, as those certainly do that live without prayer to save their lives, make a bad bargain for themselves. And maybe this for you is a season where you need to dig in and develop a new prayer practice. Maybe fixed hour prayer like Daniel did, is something you want to try in your life. And if that's you, there's an app called Common Prayer based on the book that I've read a number of times, A Liturgy for Ordinary Radicals. And it can actually prompt and guide you through morning, midday, and evening prayers. If that's something you want to grow in, I'd encourage you to download that and you can set reminders right on your device. Maybe for you, it's something different. Sometimes we have a habit when we read the scriptures of seeing ourselves as the heroes or reflected in the heroes and the stories of the Bible. But maybe you need to put yourself in the role of the officials. Maybe you need to examine the role that envy might be playing in your life. I know I do. I need to think about how often I compare myself to others and how easy it is for me to develop a sense of unhealthy desire to not just have what someone else, but for them actually not to have it, and for me to be winning. Proverbs 27 verse 4 says, who can stand before envy? And the real answer to that question is no one. It's very insidious, but difficult to weed out of our lives, and we need spiritual friendships and real frank accountability that can help us in that. 
And friends, the final lesson for us here today is a lesson on God's power and God's might. Because really, we're reminded that in the end, Daniel is not saved because of his righteousness, but because of God's mercy and God's power demonstrated in shuttering the mouths of the lions. It's not because these lions weren't hungry. We see actually in chapter 6, verse 24, that the king has Daniel's accusers and all of their families thrown into the lion's den. And this is another one of those sad laws that the Medes and the Persians had. They believed that if you were guilty, if one person in your family was guilty, then everyone in your family was guilty and was found out. And so they were thrown into the lion's den, even though God in the Mosaic law explicitly forbids this. And so this is one of those great examples of a time when, when you're reading through the scripture, you need to ask, is the scripture sanctioning this or is it reporting on what has happened? So friends, as we conclude our teaching time together today, it's important for us to pause and just ask, are we still trusting in our own power and might and strength to get us through this pandemic or to start school or to figure out what your finances or your family life or your health or your business will look like? If you are, it's time to stop. It's time to admit that you are not God and to turn your life over yet again to a God who loves you and who sent Jesus to die for your sins so that you could be free and experience life abundant and rich and joyful that starts now and goes on forever. And friends, if you've never made that decision, I want you, if you're watching on our live stream platform, to raise your hand to indicate that you want someone to pray for you. And if you're watching on uh, our YouTube channel or watching non-live, then I want you to email me at brads at jerichoridge.com and I'd love to start a conversation with you about saving faith. One of the ways that we remind ourselves of the truth of who God is and the power and the might of God is through worship in song. And so as we respond to God's word, Jared and Ruth Ellen are gonna lead us in song. As we worship together, I want you to think about that one area of your life where fear seems to lose so large and lion-like for you. And I want you to hold that in your hand, but I also want you to take that to the Lord in prayer. For he is the living God and he will endure forever. His kingdom will never be destroyed. His rule will never end. He rescues and saves his people. He performs miraculous signs and wonders in the heavens and on earth. He has rescued Daniel from the power of the lions. And friend, he can rescue you. Let's pray together. God, we thank you for your power and for the way in which you desire to demonstrate it in your world and in our lives. So I pray for each person who's watching that they would come to know and experience you in a deeper, more personal, and more powerful way this day and this week and this season. In the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit, we pray. Amen.